I'm really glad you decided to start this week here. My name is Jared, one of the pastors, and uh, thank you for uh, being here today. It's really a treat to get to worship with you, and, uh, and I want you to know that I had a supernatural experience this week. I want to tell you about that in just a moment. But first of all, I just want to kind of recognize with you that uh, not everybody has been entirely peaceful the last few days or weeks. Rhetorical question, don't raise your hand. Any of you been a little bit worried or anxious about anything? Absolutely anything at all? Yeah, yeah. some of you are happy to vote on that anyway, yeah. In fact, um, a survey of therapists tells us that of their patients, three-fourths of patients in therapy uh, are reporting uh, high levels of election anxiety. It's, It's a new epidemic. In fact, national polls for all of us have indicated that half of us are feeling quite or very anxious in this political season. So this is an amazing thing that we're experiencing uh, together. And I have some questions about that. I have the question of how worried should I be? What, what should I be worried for? Is being worried about some things being like a mature adult and a responsible person? Or is it sin? And how would I know the difference? Today, I want to share with you about my supernatural experience. I voted. <laughs> and so today, I'm going to tell you exactly how God told me to vote, and I'll pass that on to you, and we'll all have a supernatural experience. No, no, you, you know, yeah. By the way, the other ones were recorded. We're going to go with one of those, I think. What happened was I got my ballot in the mail, and I took it out, and I opened it up, and I did what I've been doing for the last 20, uh, 100 days, and then I signed the ballot, and I sealed it up, and I put an, uh, a stamp on it, and I felt absolutely no anxiety. I felt far more anxiety yesterday at the Oregon Duck game <laughs> than I felt, felt voting. And when I reflected on that, I knew that I had experienced a supernatural experience of God. And as I was thinking about that, I I felt that very possibly that my experience is a word from the Lord for us as a community of faith. The experience that God wants to give you, which will be quite different from the experience that many others uh, in in our uh, community and our network. So what I did was my routine of the last 100 days, this will sound familiar to some of you, you know that I, I've done this, I, I took my ballot and first of all, I, what do you think I did? I, I prayed. Because we have learned together that in 1 Timothy chapter 1 it says, I urge then first of all that prayers and petitions and intercessions with thanksgiving be made, be made for who? All people. And for kings and all who are in authority, that we may build peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The first thing I did was I prayed. And I've been uh, trying to pray in ways that are helpful for me. And one of the things I've decided to do 100 days ago was to stop demonizing candidates by making them into caricatures that were the sum total of what I thought about their political positions. I started thinking about them as human beings. I thought about each candidate and their spouse and their surviving parents that we've seen glimpses of. I imagined pictures of their kids in my mind. I imagined their grandkids. 
And I live in a four-generation family. And so I think about these people as human beings that have put themselves out there in the public sector and the implications for these generations of families around them. It helps me personalize them. Jesus said this, you even are called to love your enemies. And so I thought as I prayed for these people, God wants us to pray for everybody to be saved. And so I've been praying for 100 days for them to be saved. Now that sounds a little arrogant, doesn't it? It sounds like I don't think that they're saved. I have no idea if they're saved. God only knows. Have you noticed that he has kept himself uh, the role of judge around that? But I hope that you pray that I get saved, more saved every day, more like Jesus every day, closer to him, hearing him better, more filled with the spirit, more of Christ-like character. He wants all everybody to be saved. That was my prayer. I held my ballot and I prayed for those candidates. And then you know the second thing I did. I, I thanked. I thanked God for being the king of kings. Any of you join me in that thanks? Beyond this thing, I thank you for your thing. Thank you for the, being the king of kings. And then, no surprise to you, I thought about some very personal, uh, specific things. What is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable. And many of you know that I didn't have to come up with that on voting day because well, about three months ago, I shared in a message the 21 qualities that are important to me in hiring a CEO of our country. And those are all aspirational traits. They're good, they're pure, they're lovely, they're commendable, they're admirable. I decided long ago I was not going to vote against someone. I was going to vote for someone. And my 21 list of admirable traits, about 90 days ago, I put a political candidate or two leading candidates Uh, their name next to each of those that I felt that they uh, most closely uh, matched. And they didn't match everything, so I had some blanks. But the vote at that day for me was 38 to 5. So when I, 90 days later, had my ballot in hand, I decided to think about these things that are good and admirable and important to me, and I did a recount and I asked myself the question, has anything happened in the next 90 days to change my opinion about any of those 21 qualities. And in fact, one of those qualities did shift. And so when I did my little review, the vote was 35 to 8. Now, I'm a football guy. So if you win 35 to 8, that's fairly compelling. You move on. You call, put that in the win column. And after I had prayed and thanked and thought, then I did something. I took my little pen, and I marked a little oval there, and I voted. And when I was done, I was at peace. And that was a supernatural experience. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, you know, could kind of be a news junkie. And it's interesting to me to read across the political, uh, political commentary across the spectrum. So, you know, I read uh, Breitbart and the National Review and the New York Times and the Huffington Post. And I listen a few minutes a day to uh, talk radio. So I check in a little bit with Laura and Rush and Sean and then I listen to some NPR, and, and then in the evening, I love a few minutes of Fox News and a few minutes of CNN. I really am a mess, aren't I? Yeah, yeah. I find some fantastic entertainment value in seeing some of the competing different points of view. But here's the deal. I discipline myself. I don't get any more news time in a day than I spend in my devotional time. Why in the world would I spend two minutes reading God's word to me and two hours listening to media? Why in the world would I trade that off? And so if I spent five minutes of my devotional time, I get five minutes of news pleasure. 
And if I spend an hour, I can have fun for the whole hour during the day. I would hope that you would have the same kind of priority in your life. So I'm about to quote a little bit from an article that I read, and now none of you will have any idea of where it came from. And if I told you, some of you would be ticked off, but all of you know that I've been from all over the place. But this was interesting to me. It said, we have a national epidemic of worry. There are good forms and bad forms of anxiety. There's the kind that warns you about legitimate dangers, like don't step in front of that bus, and the kind that spirals into dark and self-destructive thoughts. Worry is circular. It may start with a concrete concern. I wonder if I forgot to lock the back door. And then it can begin to explode and spiral into all kinds of dark thoughts of worry that are related to the original issue, but have made it far worse. My first thought is, I wonder if I locked the back door. My second thought is, the intruders are probably already here. And my third thought is, the kids have already been kidnapped. You know how it goes. And the national discourse has been fueled in ways to invite you to buy into a spiral of anxiety and worry. Worry escalates from anxiety to fear to terror. And what's happening this year as a culture, maybe not for you, but in American culture, is that anxiety is coursing through our system. Worry cycles, possibly bad futures in your head, and it causes you to live in these dreadful scenarios about what if, most of which will never come true. And pretty soon you're seeing the world through a dirty windshield because anxiety breeds mistrust and a mounting tide of anxiety makes people angrier about society and more darkly pessimistic about the possibility of changing us. And that, my friends, is called hopelessness. When we are followers of God who is called the God of how much hope? All hope. Here's the spectrum. Hope less, all hope. And God's perfect will for you is to ward off hopelessness, which is a place that our culture may have created a stew to live in for a season, to being a shining light of the God who is the God of all hope. So what does the Bible say about how to live as a spirit-filled, hope-filled, biblical Christian in this elected season? Well, it will not surprise you to know that it has something to say to us. And from a passage fairly familiar, if you're part of Evergreen to us, especially in this season, I want to read again today from Philippians chapter 4, starting with verse 6, which has just become a very powerful guiding path for us, where it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts, will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers and sisters, here's the six. Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, 
if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the peace of the God of peace will be with you. We've said it this way, pray, thank, think, do, and two promises will happen for you. You will have a supernatural experience in your emotions and in your thoughts. As the peace of God, which transcends our ability to figure it out, will actually guard your emotions and will guard your thoughts. That's miracle number one. And miracle number two, as you pray, thank, think, and then do, is that you will experience the presence of the God of peace in your life. Supernatural experience. Well, fear is not a new problem for for God's people. In fact, it is a huge and significant problem for us. But it's been a problem in every generation, in every nation. And I assume that, discover that, from great authority, the Bible itself, where the phrase, do not be afraid, is mentioned 81 times in the Bible. It starts in Genesis, and the last two times are in the book of Revelation. God has to say to his people in every place, in every time, do not be afraid. And I'm going to ask you to help me today. I'm not going to read the 81 uh, different references, but I am going to mention 27 of them briefly. And as I mention what God says, and then when it's time to say, do not be afraid, I'm gonna ask you to say that out loud. So let's, when I raise my hand, so let's experiment together. I'm raising my hand. Do not be afraid. Oh, I think that sounds just like the way God says it. Here we go. Are you ready? The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid. God called Hagar from heaven and said to her, Do not be afraid. I am the God your father, he said to Jacob. Do not be afraid. Moses answered the people. Do not be afraid. The Lord said to Moses. Do not be afraid. The Lord said to Joshua. Do not be afraid. The Lord said to Gideon. Samuel replied to Saul. Do not be afraid. The Lord said to Elijah. Do not be afraid. The Lord said to David. I'm going to pause for a minute. Not all of you are participating with much gusto. You can join us now. We continue. Then David said to Solomon, his son, Do not be afraid. Listen, Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid. Jehezekiah, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Listen, Judah, you do not have to fight this battle. Israel, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. And you, Ezekiel, do, do not be <laughs> And then he said, Daniel. Do not be afraid. The Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid. The angel said to Zechariah. Do not be afraid. The angel said to Mary. Do not be afraid. The angel said to the uh, shepherds. Do not be afraid. Jesus said to his followers, do not let your hearts be troubled and... Jesus said to the woman at the tomb, Do not be afraid. the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Jesus placed his right hand on John and said, Do not be afraid. The, to the church, Jesus says, Do not be afraid. Wow. 27 times out of 81. 
This is the word of the Lord to us. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid is a command. It is a challenge. It is a comfort. It is a command to be executed. Russell, do not be afraid. It is a challenge to be embraced. Greg, do not be afraid. It is a comfort to be held. Patty, do not be afraid. We read about the experience of 27 persons or groups of people. You'll find yourself in their stories today. A man who was doubting, an abused woman and her child who were desperate, the father of Israel who was confused, liberator of slaves who was reluctant, victorious general who was overwhelmed, warrior judge who was scared, the first king who lacked confidence, a prophet who was discouraged, nation builder who abused his power sexually, several kings trying to lead in a politically conflicted time, brilliant king who lived in his father's shadow, a nation that was broken, divided, and discouraged, a prophet who was generally ignored, government official who risked his life, Jesus' earthly father who emigrated to spare his family, Jesus' mother who was a confused teenager, John the Baptist's father who just couldn't believe God's promise, shepherds who were the least likely, followers who were scared for their lives, grieving women who had lost hope, church planting apostle who was uh, discouraged, John the revealer who was imprisoned, and Christians in every age who are prone toward fear, including us in 2016, do not be afraid. Jesus. Hmm. 60 years ago, one of my heroes, Billy Graham, and others founded a magazine that many of you are likely familiar with. It's called Christianity Today. It was intended to be and continues to be a, a voice for the evangelical community and Christendom. In the most recent issue, just prior to last week, it had three feature articles. One was why I'm voting for Donald Trump. The other, why I'm voting for Hillary Clinton. And the third, why I am voting for neither. Of course, sincere Christians will fill out their ballots in different ways. Andy Crouch, who's the current executive editor of Christianity Today, wrote something that resonated with me that I found helpful and also gave voice to some of the things that I've been feeling. He writes, Our country is flawed, but it's also resilient. And God is not only just... But he is merciful as he judges nations. In these closing weeks before the election, all American Christians should repent, fast, and pray, no matter how we vote. And we should hold on to hope, not in a candidate, but in our Lord Jesus. We serve the living God, and even now he is ready to have mercy on us and are all who are afraid. May his name be hallowed, may his kingdom come, and his will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. Some of us would say, amen. Jesus speaks words to his apostles the day of his resurrection, recorded by John. They're striking. The disciples are scared. They're in an upper room. They're afraid for their lives. They're confused. Jesus shows up. He stands among them. They're terrified, and he says, peace be to you. And he shows them the nail prints in his hands. He shows them the scar of the spear thrust between his ribs and into his heart, which allowed a release of blood and water from a broken heart. And when they saw that it was the resurrected Lord who had now fulfilled all that he had come to do in providing forgiveness for our sins, reconciliation with God, and had come now in his resurrected state to be the Prince of Peace, they were overjoyed. And he said to them, peace be to you. I learned something from that in this do not be afraid word. People who are terrified, paralyzed in anxiety and fear, in a downward spiral of regret and despair, need to hear Jesus say in his resurrected power, peace be to you. And people who are rejoicing and celebrating and coming off the best week that they've had in their entire life need to hear Jesus say the same words, peace be to you. And to those that were terrified and those that were overjoyed, peace be to you, he said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Peace be to you. I think this was the word of the Lord to me. I think it's the story of a supernatural experience that I had. I think it's a word of the Lord to the evergreen community. I'm going to read it. I'm going to invite you to listen as I do. And if it resonates with you to boldly read out loud the second time through, it says this, do not be anxious. Pray, thank me, think my thoughts, do what I tell you, peace be with you, receive the Holy Spirit. If that resonates with you, would you say it out loud boldly with me? Do not be anxious, pray, thank me, think my thoughts, do what I tell you, peace will be with you, Receive the Holy Spirit. I hold a ballot. It's not mine. Mine went away. But I'm holding a ballot, which is to me a precious gift. This ballot came to me because of the sacrifice of brilliant minds, of creative innovators, and the blood of courageous revolutionaries. I hold this gift because it has been sustained to come to me and still is today because of wise, negotiating statesmen and courageous men and, wo- men and women who have and do serve in our military, putting themselves in harm's way. 
I have tremendous respect for this gift. I said going into the election, I will not vote against, I will vote for. That's part of my respect. I said I will not say I'm going to have to hold my nose and vote. To me, that would be disrespect and sloppy for me. I hold this gift and I am grateful to others and I'm grateful to God to be able to participate in this process. And as I hold that gift, I pledge my allegiance to Jesus Christ because first I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And as a follower of Christ, you are first a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And collectively, we are first citizens of the kingdom of heaven, which is why Jesus instructed Jews in Israel under Roman government to pray the same way the Spirit calls us to pray as well, as we are reminded of who we are in Christ when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Receive the Holy Spirit. I've asked Marley and the band to return. I've asked him to help us by leading us again in the first verse of that new hymn that we sang at the end of our worship set a moment ago. I read the words, in Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought or storm. What heights above, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when strivings cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Peace be to you. Lord, we stand in you. We stand on you. You are the cornerstone. You are the foundation. You are the rock. You are the secure place. You are Lord of lords and King of kings. You are creator supreme and you are the ruler of all. We stand in you in gratitude and appreciation to be a part of a nation that is such a beautiful experiment in trusting God and trusting people. And we stand in you in a time that is one of turmoil and disagreement and at times ugly public discourse and negativity. And we stand in you, not as critics and not as smug people that think we have it all right, but we stand in you and on you to be people that are biblical and spirit-filled and humble and hope-filled. And we come to you and we pray. And we give you thanks as an expression of our faith and confidence in you. We will think your thoughts. We will do what we believe you're calling us to do. And Lord, we will give you thanks for being Lord of Lords.
however things turn out in this election. For in every generation, in every nation, in every culture, across millennia, you have always demonstrated yourself the faithful one. And we praise and thank you for that. In Jesus' name, Father, would you say together with me? Amen. Amen.